Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. Remember that? Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise. I miss him. He was a great singer. He was a really great singer. Um, anyway, Jim Neighbors, I don't know. If, if The old folks are sitting around talking about old folk stuff. Don't worry about it uh, it's, if, you're, if you're not one of those old folks. But when did we become old folks? Did you, did you, did you even notice it happening? About five years ago. <laughs> yes, specific date in mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yep. Well, anyway, surprise, surprise, surprise. Here we are on a Friday. We said we weren't going to do this, but um, uh, I got up at uh, 2.20 this morning, and I got my ride in and uh, ripped that sucker. Let me. I'm going to tell you. Now, I'll, I should tell you, just, just briefly, that listening to a debate on hyperpreterism does not exactly elevate your heart rate, you know, and make you just want to slam those pedals down, <laughs> spin those, spin the crank, whatever. Um, so I was listening. So yesterday was the first of the two-part um, debate on Iron Sharpens Iron on hyperpreterism. And uh, so I listened to the first exchange on on the ride this morning and then when i got done with that uh then i switched over to music <laughs> and uh and uh yeah it was, that helped a lot it really really did it's amazing the difference that that will make it, it, it it's there there is there is something to that anyway uh but uh did most of the ride in the dark uh, which means I did not run into any rioters, looters, uh, anything. It was very quiet. Uh, I saw a couple of cats uh, out and about. That was pretty much about it. Um, when I went through the underpasses on the on the canal, I woke up the homeless people who have turned that into a hotel down there. But other than that, um, there you go. And uh, so I looked at the clock and I'm like, "So are you going in this morning?" Well, for a while. And it's like, "All right." Let's 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 just do a one hour program. We'll we'll get it done and and um, you know make some advancements and do something beneficial. I I was I've always wondered <clears throat> what would finally break the stranglehold of the uh, COVID nineteen virus on the news cycle, and if you burn down a major city, um, that finally was enough to get people to talk about something other, uh, even though. You know, uh, this this when when historians look back on video and pictures of this experience, they are going to be going, how odd that they're all wearing face masks now, because when looters loot stores, they've always practiced proper social distancing. (laughs) Right. Uh, they're putting stuff over their face all the time. Uh, so now they just look like everybody else. Uh, in fact, I saw a white woman running out of Target with uh, some some items, um, and she did not have a face mask on. And I'm like, you obviously, you, you didn't get the, the memo about how this is supposed to work. Uh, everyone's supposed to show up in their face masks, and that way, you know, all the video being taken, you know, they don't come and get you six months from now, um, which would be a good thing, but it won't happen. And on the way in, I was listening to the news conference, and they had various representatives from Arizona, uh, Arizona uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minnesota state representatives, and Keith Ellison, attorney general. He was in the House, wasn't he? Right amazing because he's first Muslim com- uh, congressman, but he's an ultra leftist, just an ultra, just a commie, just a communist. And listening to him talking about, you know, he starts off as Martin Luther King said, riot is the voice of those cannot, who cannot be heard in any other way. And I just wanted to, um, lose my breakfast uh, because these people who are burning down buildings and and looting and stuff like that they they have no connection with what happened there there is there is no connection here these are just lawless 
evil people doing lawless evil things. This is this is what they do. A lot of them aren't even from around that area. They've been brought in to cause more more difficulties and and break the break societal cohesion down even more. And it was really sad uh, if you saw the video of uh, the black man whose sports bar had been burned down. This, all his life savings was 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 in that. And you, you just it's uh, lawlessness is never ever justified. Not. Not in that. Now, of course, you, you sit there and you go, yeah, well, that's what China's going to say once they crack down on Hong Kong, which they're going to because they're going to they're going to renege on their agreement and they're going to uh, obliterate Hong Kong. Uh, and many people will die in the process, but they don't care because they're communists. And that's what communists do. Communists kill people. That's what communism is all about. Just if you if you've not read a history of the last century, it wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't that long ago. Uh, then you might want to do so because, you know, uh, around 120 to 150 million people uh, were killed by communists just in the last century. And we're actually talking about putting people like that in power here in our own country. And some of us just sit, sit around going, I, I don't even know how this happened, but it sure is happening quickly. Um, but Keith Ellison, he's he's up there doing his level best to you know, just be so politically correct. But then eventually they get one of the one of the guys who like is the head of the state cops or something like that. And he's like, these people out there at three o'clock in the morning, they don't have anything to do with the murder that took place. And he says, that's my call. I, I think that was a murder that took place. But they're not protesting that. They're they're just lawless people that want new TVs. Uh, they want to sell them. And and and. He, <laughs> the, the contrast between the law and order guy and Keith Ellison um, is why the system ain't working anymore. Because when you have the law and order guy, and then you have a law and order guy as the attorney general. I mean, in, in California, they're literally electing attorney generals that go, "We don't care what the law says. Laws irrelevant. We will not. We will not enforce it." Um, it it's just when law breaks down, folks. God gave us law. Law is a good thing. As long as it represents what God has revealed to us about who we are, who he is, and how we're to relate to one another. But folks, law that comes from a lawless heart is going to destroy everybody. Wow, it's, it's amazing how we are being forced to think through stuff that was theoretical only six months ago. Or even more so 20 years ago. Stuff that, that scholars were writing papers about. Now all of a sudden, everyone has to talk about this in the pew. Because um, the old style, ah, we're not under, uh, we're not allowed to run to grace, leaves you with nothing but nebulous platitudes when it comes to, hey, look, our society has abandoned the Judeo-Christian roots that gave it so much of the structure of its law, and now it's all falling apart because there's nothing consistent to replace it with. Well, okay, okay I'll take that back. There is something consistent to replace it with. Consistently rebellious anti-law, <laughs> um, which results in the destruction of things called personal freedoms and liberties, because personal freedoms and liberties require you to view man as being made in the image of God. If man is nothing but a highly evolved creature, liberty, freedom, has no meaning. Has no meaning. We're slowly discovering this, um, and um, yeah, probably a little little late on that, that level, but all of us need to be the ones proclaiming to all around us there is a better way there is a better way and uh, so obviously we uh, I would imagine two weeks from now things are going to be rather peaceful in uh, in Minneapolis and the left will go back to hawking uh, we're all about to die of uh, COVID-19 again uh, until the next thing happens but each time there's been a chipping away at, a subversion of, the very thin layer of commonality 
that holds this civilization, this culture together. And, um, yeah, when it comes apart, um, I am not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but it's going to be. Yes, sir. The thing that struck me about what I saw this morning on the news, all of those burned out buildings. When we think about you, the, the what was it, the Safeway at, was it Glenn? Yeah. At Northern and 35th. No, th- right. You drive by there every day. It's still. And it's just blight. Yeah, it just sits there. And what has happened to this neighborhood now? It's going to stay the same. Is it's going to stay that way. And every all these people are now going to live in the middle of even more blight. Yep. And the the self-destruction, the deconstruction. Yeah, that, calling that, that is, protest... It's it, actually self-destruction. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is. It's, it's, th- these are all, as they said on the news I was watching, all self-inflicted wounds. Very, very self-inflicted You know, you punish Though, yourself because of what you saw somebody else did. Did you see, um, I saw it on Twitter. <clears throat> um, oh, man, I wish I could find that. Did I retweet that? No, I don't think I did. Uh, and then the one thing about social media is if you want to find something again, Oh, forget it, especially forget on that. It. Um, Every time you hit refresh, who knows what's going to come up there. i got to help you get on Parlor. Because, <laughs> Like I said, uh, it simply would – I. it had the CAPTCHA thing. Mm-hmm. Filled in the CAPTCHA thing. Hit it. Gave you a new CAPTCHA thing. And then would send the code to the phone. But there was no place to put the code. It just went into a loop. And there are other people who said, yep, happened to me too. Well, see, I was using an Android, so it was working. You were fine. using what? An Android. It could be. It could be they have problems with iPhones. It's yeah. possible. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time no. uh, something like that happened. But um, there was a. Uh, I'm getting closer. Oh, did you see this picture? Oh, my goodness. My daughter posted this picture. If you go to at summer rights, S-U-M-M-R rights, she posted a picture. It's a it's a tweet from Corey A. DeAngelis. A glance at what some schools might look like after reopening in Arizona. Did you see this? Um, here. Oh, I'm looking. Oh, my word. Look at that. <laughs> look at that. Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> it. I, I was like, you've got. To be kidding me. I mean, literally, the, the radical homeschoolers have got, taken over. We, you got to move invaded. it over to your main screen so I can show that. That's, yeah, okay. That's All right. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me do. Uh, Blow that full screen, that picture. Um, there. That's that's big as I can get. All right. Let me, let me see if I can zoom in on it a little bit That's as big now. as I can get. Yeah, because that's, that's just crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, are you? You're actually gonna gonna Here send go. your kids right there. Yeah, check that out, guys. There's there's the future. There's the classroom of the future in your public schools. In all of our Twilight Zone memories, we nope. never saw that. No, no, no. The the poor little munchkins who are the least likely to be affected by any of this. But hey. Uh, panic is panic, and oh and you you literally think the kids are going to learn something, and they're going to sit there with face masks on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's not going to happen, and the only reason you'd be doing this, obviously, is to teach them submission oh. to Big Brother. If that, if that is a submission, I this don't know is, what is. If that's not submission to Big Brother, <laughs> I don't know what is. But oh, uh, And, word. of course, everyone in the picture, the two people in the picture, are dutifully... Um, hiding behind face yes. masks. So, um, yeah, there you go. That <laughs> I was like, no, seriously? Anyways, what I was trying to find, to scroll through here, is um, early this morning, um, one of my friends uh, posted, oh, did, just some are also posted this. Did you hear the report that the cop and the guy he killed worked at the same place last year? Yep, I, I heard it, but I'm I'm 
there's, you know, we've seen so much flying around. Maya Santa Maria um, was interviewed, and she runs a rather large restaurant type thing, where the nightclub, and used both of them as security, one inside, one outside. Now they didn't know if they knew each other because they one, but they're working at the same place for quite some time. I, I can't imagine they would not have known each other. Something's really broken here. In that, Crazy. there's there's something's going to come out of this. Something there's going to be more. There, there's just going to be more. Anyways, Black Community News that I follow, um, your BCN uh, had posted a uh, video of black business owners and store owners um, standing outside their businesses in Minneapolis, fully armed, yeah, with AR-15s, yeah, uh, protecting. Their businesses, and and, it, and I'm like more yeah. power to you. Too bad that 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 other businesses didn't do the same thing. I can't find it, but they they uh, they posted it. I thought that was there. You go. Um. So yes. So you're, you're gonna you're gonna get me on the parlor, huh? Not not on my phone unless they fixed it. I, obviously, since I tweeted about it and linked them, I would hope they've fixed it by now. That was a few days ago, so I'll give it another shot. But it was not an auspicious start. You don't you don't start advertising yourself, and then when people do it, you're supposed to do it, it just goes into an infinite loop. That's not not real not real good. Okay. Anyway, um, have you ever noticed if you uh, if you have your um, if you have your Greek New Testament with you, <laughs> um, I suppose it would be good to uh, bring this over so that we can, uh, um, so I can show you this. Um, one of the, uh, I was looking, since we did this quickly, I apologize. I wanted to be able to bring this up. I'll try to remember to do this before we go into the conclusion stuff on the Wilson dissertation. Uh, that is reading through the conclusion. Um, and by the way, if someone out there, <laughs> this is a funny request to make. Uh, one of the, see, sometimes when I work through a text or something like that, I can't remember whether I'm remembering my working through it or actually presenting it on the dividing line. So sometimes I've done work and then never presented it, which is a waste of time, obviously. Um, did I discuss Athanasius's writings about foreknowledge? Or at least the assertions that Wilson makes about Athanasius and foreknowledge. Maybe Chris would know, because Chris has been writing the articles and stuff, so maybe he's been keeping up with what I've covered. Because I have a whole section in my notes, um, and it's from the conclusion so I'd be hitting it early on. But did I already talk about that? Did I already go back through and read? Because I, I pulled a bunch of Athanasius into the text to read it, and I just don't remember doing it on the program. I might have. Um, and it's harder to go back and find that kind of stuff than, than you might think that it is. Um, someday, that'll, someday computers will be able to do the voice-to-text thing so well because see text text to voice works really well i I mean i use that constantly voice to text not so much at least not a couple years ago when i tried it um maybe it's getting better but rich can you imagine how useful it would be if we had a program that did voice to text trained it on me trained it on my voice and then had searchable transcripts of the dividing lines. Yeah, yeah, that would be really, really awesome. And you're sitting there going, man, that would be huge. Actually, in comparison to the video and audio files, it wouldn't be. It would be tiny. Uh, but... 1984? Oh, what the government would do with that. Well, it's already out there. Uh, we, there's, there's no hiding from that, the, especially the way we do things. 
Uh, it's it's already out there. Uh, if they want evidence that I'm a Christian that believes God's law is righteous and good, and uh, uh, that Jesus is Lord over all, including the Chinese Communist Party and the United States government and all others, because he's King of Kings, um, they've got all the information. They've got all the evidence that they could possibly ever need. Um, not a not a problem on that. Anyways, that'd be a great thing to do. But that would also make it easier for me to go back and go, did I talk about that? And then just search for the last occurrence of Athanasius and boing, you know, there it is. And I go, oh yeah, I did. So uh, one of the things that I want to track down <laughs> is, because I, I know I got to the end of a program and I didn't do this. I had it queued up. I had the reference up. I didn't get to it. At least I don't think I got to it. I don't have any remembrance of doing it. Was a section from the dissertation where Wilson is saying that John Chrysostom had refuted this dupied interpretation of John 644. It might have been 665. And I was trying to grab it real quick before we got started, and I wasn't able to do so. I apologize. I'll try to get to it uh, for next week. But that did get me thinking about the relationship of John 644 and John 665. And... What's important, I think, for all of us, whether you have interest in the uh, provisionists or anybody who has uh, argumentation against Reformed theology, we know how important John 6 is. We have worked through it. I've lost track of how many times we have dealt with some new you know, hyper-dispensational reading of John 6 or whatever. We've spent a lot of time on this kind of stuff. And one thing I assume everyone is aware of, but want to make sure we're aware of, is how John 6.65 being a restatement of John 6.44 helps us to establish a consistent and I really think unquestionable exegetical conclusion as to what is being said in the text. We've walked through it before. I'm not going to do it again, but we have a flow of the text that takes us from verse 37 through verse 39, emphasis upon the sovereignty of God. Verse 40 is the result of that in time. Uh, that is the result of God's work in man is that we are looking to Christ, we're believing in Christ. Then you have the grumbling of the Jews through verse 43. And then in verse 44, we all know the text. No one is able to come to me unless the Father, the one who sent me, draws him, and I will draw him, same him, I will raise him, sorry, raise him up on the last day or in the last day. And the reality is that I think most of my Reformed, a lot of my Reformed brothers who are maybe younger in holding this particular position, it's always important to remember that any quote-unquote proof text we use is probably going to be even stronger in its testimony when you know the text in its context. This is especially true in John chapter 6, because 644 does not just sit there, stand on its own, and when you see its relationship to the next verse, this greatly enhances our argumentation. Because when we talk about, no one can come to me unless the Father sent, sent me, draws him, and we emphasize the power of the Father to draw to the Son, what we need to see is that verse 45 then expands that definition and helps us to understand with greater clarity. So, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and then you have the quotation, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, comes to me, 
is a concept that was already mentioned all the way back up in verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me. So, God's teaching, they shall all be taught of God. The passive actions of hearing and learning from the Father, these are all expansions and explanations of how the drawing of the Father works. No one has the ability in of themselves to come to Christ unless the Father draws him. Well, how does the Father draw him? Well, verse 45 tells us there is teaching, there is hearing, there is learning. And mankind is so focused upon defending our, uh, how would I describe it? Our autonomy and our abilities and our powers that when we hear this, we take everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, and we endow hearing and learning with autonomous capabilities, rather than recognizing these are passive things. People are taught by God. They hear when I hear something, I'm not, you know, I, I suppose I could hear myself talking, but in this context, uh, everyone who has heard from the Father, you didn't produce that, that revelation, and yet mankind will go, yeah, but I had to hear, and of course, in John, we know hearing, seeing, these are, are words that John uses regularly. Remember John chapter 9? The one who can't see is the one who can see. The, one, the people who can see, can't see. It, it's, it's meant to, to be that way. John chapter 8, Jesus is going to say, why can't you hear me? Uh, because you're not of God. So, hearing is passive. Learning is passive. It's taking in knowledge from another source. Being taught by God, passive. So, what do you have in verse 45? You have actions of God. God teaches. God speaks. He reveals knowledge. And we simply hear and learn. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So there is... So this is descriptive... Now, we, we, we often ask questions. What does regeneration involve? Uh, what does it look like? We want real specific scientific answers, you know. So, does the soul weigh a little bit more after regeneration? <laughs> you know, we, want, we, want our, we want to get out our scales and our microscopes and stuff like that and be all scientific about it. But here you do have something that helps us to understand when it says, the Father who sent me draws him. What's that drawing going to include? Well, we know that drawing is going to have certain results. And in this passage, they are infallible results. All, everyone who's taught by God, everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is a very specific, this isn't some general revelation. I mean, couldn't you argue on one level? Couldn't you say, well, everyone has, uh, has learned from the Father because God created the universe, and therefore there's general revelation, and men know that God exists, but they suppress that knowledge, but still they've, they've learned stuff, and so... But that's obviously not what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to a specific, salvific, effective, divine action. This is why you can go to John 10, and what's Jesus going to say? My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. There is a personal relationship there. There, there has been truth about who Jesus is that has been communicated to that person who is now a sheep. 
But that sheep was chosen by the shepherd. The sheep didn't choose the shepherd. So the, the text is so clear in emphasizing the divine capacity, the divine power, that it is very, very educational to us to see how man will try to get around that and try to turn these texts into affirming human free will. But we've seen people do it. We've, we've seen Norman Geiser do it. We've seen John Lennox do it. Um, smart folks, but so wedded to human autonomy that they'll actually see texts that are talking about divine autonomy in explicit terms and somehow find a way to turn them into texts teaching human autonomy. But don't forget, I think our conversations with others, when we go to John 6, and John 6 is an extremely useful and effective text to go to, um, our conversations will be greatly enhanced if we don't just stop at verse 44. But then we explain that verse 45 then helps us to understand better what this involves, what this drawing of the Father involves, and that it's, it's effective. It, it, it accomplishes that which God intends it to accomplish. And the result of this communication of knowledge, you know, in provisionism, remember, grace, as I understand how Leighton Flowers has expressed it, grace is found in the gospel. The gospel itself is gracious. God did not have to do what he did, but he did, so that's where the grace is found. That's why you don't need prevenient grace, is the grace is found in the gospel itself. Mankind has the capacity in of itself. There's no udais dunatai in provisionism. Udais dunatai means no one is able. There's no udais dunatai in provisionism. Everyone has that capacity, hence the gospel comes, and there is knowledge of what Jesus claims, and it's up to the human individual to make the decision one way or the other, and then God acts based upon that, acts based upon his foreknowledge of what those human beings do. There's all sorts of theological problems with that, but that's, that's the theory. Well, here's the problem. In John 6.45, everyone who is taught of God, everyone who hears the message, everyone who's learned from their Father comes to Christ. So, again, you're either a universalist or you're reformed because this communication of knowledge is effective. There is no one to whom the Father has revealed this knowledge that does not come to Christ. So the only two logical results from that is you either need to recognize the existence of the elect or you become a universalist. The autonomous choice just simply isn't there. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. So, memorize verse 45 along with verse 44. Uh, very, very important. But then, and this is what caused me to start thinking about all this, in a number of the references in the dissertation, you would have, if it was a direct reference to John 665, there'd be a comparison to 644, or vice versa, or they both be cited together. Um, and that's because they say so much of the same thing, but 65 is a summary statement later on, after the discussion of eating the flesh and drinking the blood which is not a separate discussion. This is the other thing. If, for example, you have Roman Catholic relatives, friends, uh, co-workers, whatever, you're not going to be able, I don't believe you're going to be able to address in a contextual, consistent format what Jesus is talking about when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood until you see how that is related to what came before. Because what is in verses 
37 and following, the high sovereignty of God, predestination election, it's right there. That's the context of Jesus emphasizing his own centrality and what believing in him actually means, connecting it back to the Passover and the giving of the bread, bread of life, etc., etc. If you don't see that everything that God does, like in verse 45, is so that his people come to Christ, and that eating his flesh and drinking his blood represents, communicates to us his absolute centrality. We're not trying to join Jesus with a bunch of other things. That's what's so reprehensible about Union Theological Seminary and all, um, quote-unquote, inclusivistic um, deformations of the Christian faith. It's about Jesus. That's an exclusive claim. Try to add other stuff in there, and you no longer have Christianity. When you are continuously coming to Christ, that's what you see in the Supper. Because the Supper, every time you partake of the Supper, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes, right? Proclaim the Lord's death in what context? That this is your only hope. That only by union with Him, only by His death, only by His resurrection, only by His broken body and blood, do you have any hope at all? That's what was so horrible about the syncretistic religion in Israel when they would build the high places, the Ashrim, the Baals, is because so many of these people would, would offer the sacrifices at the tabernacle or the temple and then go to the Baals. We've, we, we frequently do the same thing now, not seeing the absolutely exclusivistic nature of the message of the gospel itself. So that becomes very important in looking at the rest of, uh, of that. But I want you to see this uh, right here. Udais dunatai elfine pros me. So no one is able to come pros me. Ian, unless, so we're in the subjunctive here, no one is able to come to me unless the Father, the one who sent me, draws him. So, eon may, conditional uh, form, and so no one, dunatai, has the capacity, elthine, to come, pros may. And you may notice this little thing right here. Uh, that's just simply, uh, there's a minor textual variant there where some manuscripts, specifically uh, Vaticanus and a few other unseals, uh, have a epsilon there. It changes. This is just in passing. This is one of those textual variants that has no impact on meaning, which is what the vast majority of textual variants are. That's just an alternate way of writing the direct object form of the pronoun here. Um, and so some people did. So there is an epsilon in some and uh, not in others. Um, that's all it is. But so many variants are exactly, uh, are exactly that. So do you see that? No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, let's go down to the 665. So, now, this is after, you know, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. Now, there's all sorts of stuff. We could stop right there. We could say, does that fit into a provisionist understanding or a reformed understanding? Because, hey, he says he knew who would believe, so that's, that's just simple divine foreknowledge. Um, but could they have not believed? And what about Judas? Um, isn't the role of Judas prophesied? And is that just simply God looking down the corridors of time? Is that what prophecy is? Or does Judas have, is he not laid, he is set out as the son of perdition. Couldn't he, couldn't he have chosen to do otherwise? How do you answer that? Could he have chosen to do otherwise? Could he have invalidated divine prophecy? 
if you say that he has autonomous free will, you have a real hard time with this whole thing, because that's why open theists will actually say, well, that's right, he could have. Uh, he could have changed everything. Uh, might not have been the cross. It might have been some other way that God had to do it. Anyway, so then you have in verse 65, and he was saying, now what's interesting here is this is the imperfect. And the imperfect is an interesting form in the original language. Syntactically, there are a couple ways it can be. There's inceptive, uh, imperfects, and ingressive, and and continuous, and you start getting a little bit more of a subjunct, uh, subjective thing. Not subjunctive thing. Now I get really confusing. A subjective interpretation at that point, we start getting the syntax. But um, generally, what the imperfect is doing is talking about an action that's that was ongoing for a period of time in the past. Um. It doesn't emphasize a start. It can, but it doesn't. It, that would be something that would be derived from the context or maybe the verb that was being used, something like that. But the point is, in this instance, Jesus repeated himself. He had said it in verse 44. He says it, and then 65 tells us he was saying this more than once. In other words, the app, we know that his teaching in the synagogue Capernaum lasted longer than it takes to read John chapter 6, beginning at verse 35 or eh, verse 30 or so. That doesn't take very long. So obviously there were many, many, many more words spoken in that context. Um, so what we're being told is that there was an emphasized or repeated element to Jesus' teaching. And that emphasized or repeated element was, for he was saying, dia tuta, for this reason, ireka. So he, I said to you, he's pointing back to that first reference in verse 44. So the point is, Jesus himself teaches that he was repeating the emphasis that he made in verse 44. Sometimes we're told, you you, you. Put too much emphasis on John 6, 44. Well, Jesus did. Jesus repeated himself. Uh, so, for this reason, I said to you, then look at what comes in. That, udais, dunatai, elthine, pros, me, aeon me. Look familiar? It's identical from verse 44. Identical. No one is able to come to me unless Eon may. And now here's where we get a little more light shed on topic by having this repeat, repetition, this repeated element later on in the chapter. Because the rest of the verse is different than what you have in verse 44. So, no one is able to come to me unless it has been given to him from the Father. So, can we learn something from the different way that John records these words? Because what's, what's the difference? Well, here, unless it has been given to him by the Father. You go up to 44, and it says, uh, unless the Father, the one who sent me, draws him. So, granting to someone, it has been given to him by the Father, and being drawn by the Father are the same thing. They're the same thing. So, Granted to him, given to him, again, that's a divine act. It's a divine act. And yet, so many would try to tell us that that is a provisional act, that is an attempt 
on God's part? God is attempting to do something. So drawing in the synergistic concept is an attempt on God's part. He's trying to make something happen. He, he wants something to happen, but he can't necessarily accomplish it in and of himself. Or it's his purpose to simply make it, to provide it, provisionism, and then it's up to man. Right? So, how do you understand that in light of the fact that 644 and 665 are meant to explicate each other? 665 adds the information that to be drawn by the Father, according to verse 44, if you're drawn by the Father, you'll be raised up on the last day by the Son. According to 665, you can't come to the Son unless it has been granted to you by the Father. If it's granted to you by the Father, then you'll be given to the Son, and the Son will not lose you. The Father will draw you to the Son, the Son will raise you up on the last day. That's called election and predestination. That is personal. That's not some nameless, faceless group. This is... The, the clear, consistent, I'm using, I'm using the exact same exegetical methodology in looking at this that I used when looking at James chapter 2, which we did just last week, that I use in defending the deity of Christ in Colossians 1 and 2, that I use to defend the resurrection, that I use in... Responding to Bart Ehrman's claims that John has Jesus crucified on a different day, we're using the same exegetical methodology, which is why when we play the Radio Free Geneva theme, one of the sections in there is when I asked Leighton Flowers during our debate are you using the same exegetical methodology to come to that conclusion that we would utilize in other texts of Scripture regarding the resurrection or things like that? Well, no. That's, that's, the, that's the end of the debate. When you say, well, no, you... you Rich is... You know, I don't think I've used one of these in forever. He has found he just found the uh, he has found one of these. He's going <laughs> like this. And <laughs> I surrender. It's done. Uh, that's that's right. Uh, it, that's how you do it in the debate. Is the other guy goes? So, are you using a different way of interpreting scripture now than you'd use anywhere else? And if you go, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, do we have refreshments ready? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep, that's <clears throat> that's right. And so, seeing these things, seeing the parallel language, following the the context, all this stuff, it's just, it's just simply how you deal with the text of Scripture all the way through. And when you do that in John six, you see that the Father is the one who draws based upon having that, that, and that's to be understood is it has been granted to that person. And then when you tie that back together, 637 39, all the father gives me will come to me. And I've not come down of heaven to my own will, the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. 644, I'll raise him up on the last day. Wow, it's a consistent text. Powerfully consistent. And that's why when you listen to people trying to come up with a way around it, sometimes it's just painful. It's, it is painful for me to listen to a brother who, if we were, if we were two chapters later, if we were literally only a, a couple dozen verses later, 
in John chapter 8. And we're getting toward the end, the climax of John chapter 8, and the, the, uh, uh, the anger and the emotion is getting hot. And Jesus not only knows it, but he's pressing their buttons. And we look at that text, and many of my brothers, I'm thinking of some people right now, would walk lockstep with me through those verses that identify Jesus as Yahweh. Jesus says the I am. Put in Abraham Genesai, ego I me, before Abraham was, I am. And we'd use the same methods of exegesis to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the I am. But then when you apply the exact same methodology to John 6, all of a sudden things change. That's how strong tradition can be. That's how strong a commitment to some kind of human autonomy can be. That you can see it right there. The words are the same. It's consistent all the way through, but just simply refuse to see it. So I was just thinking about this because I said earlier, I wish I had been able to pull that up. I wish I had I thought I had I thought I had pulled that quote out. You know, sometimes you you go, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll pull it out and I'll deal with it here. Um, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I can search. Oh. Well, I didn't pull it out. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Isn't it, isn't it fun how sometimes you'll find a feature that you didn't have? In this, um, I'm using a, a program called Ulysses. And Ulysses is a cloud-based word processor. So when I write stuff on my phone or at home, whatever, it, it just automatically updates, and so I've got it wherever. And so I have a Wilson stuff folder in Ulysses, and that's where I'm putting all this stuff. And uh, you can just do a search, and it'll search all your cloud-based stuff and just pull it up for you. But unfortunately, there's nothing about... Yeah, see, I just put in Athanasius. Athanasius popped up, so... Um, Bummer. But I wish there, I, I wish I had the reference. I had it queued up for a couple days and I just kept forgetting to do it. Uh, where Chrysostom tries to deal with John 644 in a synergistic fashion and just doesn't even come close to providing a meaningful refutation at all. Now, did any of you catch? That in all that conversation that I just provided, I never talked about emanations. I didn't talk about sparks of light. Um, I made no reference to the fact that I had breakfast on the way in, and therefore I am, as one of the elect, uh, providing salvation um, for the light particles that were in the food that I ate. Uh, that will now be freed to go up to the Milky Way and then from the Milky Way to the moon and from the moon to the sun and from the sun back to the realm of light. Because we all know that I am, in fact, a Manichaean. Yes, yes. Um, Yes, oh, of course, of course. But, well, it's right here. And the greatest dissertation ever re- ever written uh, from Oxford. Uh, and everyone at Oxford tells me that, too. It's just we've never seen anything like this. Well, they, actually, they haven't ever seen anything like it. But that's for another reason. Um, so did, I, did you not catch where in all that discussion of imperfects and subjunctives and um, parallel phraseology and, and everything else that we were just doing in John chapter 6 that in fact that was all dependent upon a worldview where there is no personal revelatory God. 
and where well okay some of you are automatically going but wait a minute you're married with kids you're not one of the elect well yeah that is a problem um you get my point there was nothing in what i spent half an hour or more talking with you about from john chapter six that requires any element any connection any influence by anything related to manichaeism or gnosticism valentinian or sethian not to porphyry or plotinus in any of the neoplatonic schools i didn't have to quote anything from the dead sea scrolls and there were no stoics to be found anywhere and that's because the real issue about the freedom of god and salvation is first and foremost a biblical one and i don't believe that the provision aside can provide any meaningful refutation of the exegesis that we just offered and so i see this entire faint on the part of the provisionist as a means of getting us off into off into the weeds and i'm certainly hey i i i brought my weed whacker <laughs> and so we can we can just cut the weeds down and expose what's going on in there uh but i mentioned yesterday and i'll just be brief on this you know when when i play that one clip the context of it is Leighton Flowers saying, well, in light of what you said, well, what he's been saying is about what the early church allegedly said. But then Leighton's immediate application is their interpretation of these texts is untenable and indefensible. So the early church becomes the lens through which the New Testament is to be read. That's interesting. We've we deal with a lot of folks like that. They just generally don't call themselves Baptists of any stripe whatsoever. Because they're generally not. So, the whole idea that, well, if you're a Calvinist, you're just a Manichaean anyways, is clearly just an attempt to get around the fact that when it comes down to the nitty-gritty examination of the text. We saw how that worked out in 2015. We've seen how that's worked out a number of times since then, as we've looked at uh, John chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, I'm sorry, and provided extensive answers and refutations to provisionist scholars. And what do we keep seeing? Oh, They'll quote sources, but they won't deal with those sources in a meaningful fashion. The quotations will be highly problematic. I'm not just talking about Wilson at that point. There are other people in the southwestern region of the United States <laughs> uh, that have that, uh, that issue as well. So there you go. A, a surprise, surprise, surprise. Dividing line today, uh, looking primarily at John chapter 6 and then making application. And uh, so on, uh, well, whenever we do the program again, I was going to say, maybe, uh, when we do the program again next week, uh, we will, uh, we're, we're, we're making progress and we're going to, we're going to get all this done. And, and uh, someday you're going to look back at this and go, I'm, I'm glad I stuck it out. Uh, you, <laughs> you really are. But have a wonderful Lord's Day this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some of my uh, my grand munchkins, uh, not just on Sunday, but looks like uh, we're going to be getting to steal some of them uh, for the weekend ourselves. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, who knows? I may even make uh, some uh, some chicken fingers while I'm at it. Uh, some of you saw those. They looked pretty good, didn't they? And they were good. They were there. You expect some brought in here? Okay. Okay. All right. All right, thanks for watching the program today. We'll see you next time on The Dividing Line. God bless.